Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. I am uh, energized after a maintenance day. Yeah. Quality. It was a, it was a unexpected maintenance day. Yeah. But sometimes you just need a maintenance day. You just that's you what know? they're there. When for. coach is like, "Do you want a maintenance day?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'll take oh, a maintenance. I'll day. take the day." You know, <laughs> it's like the coach saying, "You don't need to be at the skate today. Just take the day off." Yeah, just take the day off. Show up the next day feeling a lot better. We need you to play twenty seven minutes tomorrow night. Yes. So uh, take the maintenance day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you gotta. You took the day yesterday to give a solid hundred and twenty minutes today. Yeah. So uh, it was good. It's good. Decided to play solo golf. Oh, you did? Where'd yeah. you go? It's very therapeutic. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Did you go hook up with a foursome? or No, nope, like just some played people when, when at like six in the morning and I played by myself. It was oh, great. Nice. No, nice. Love it. Oh, throw, throw the tunes on. Just oh. uh, just get her going. Oh, I love it. Good solo golf. It's not bad. You can listen to the music too doing that. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah. So uh, I, I like it. You know, sometimes you just need a, a nice little reset on uh, on your golf game and life. Yeah. That's why golf and life are just so closely interlocked. Did you drive the ball better? No, no not okay. at all. So it didn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, you know, nobody's there to watch your mulligans when uh, when you're playing solo golf, so that's also helpful. Your uh, score is whatever you say it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I shot 79 yesterday. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> uh, it's uh, So Canuck Central, we're going to get into uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going tonight. You'll hear it on Sportsnet 650. We'll get into the Western Conference Finals. We'll have some fun with that a little bit later on. We will uh, draft a team of the best left players in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, we'll start with your Vancouver Canucks, as it is Canucks Central. And Patrick Alvin spoke with Swedish media today, Sat. Yeah, so... uh... Because he's in Sweden, because he's in Tampere, where yeah. uh, you know the uh, world so champions are Tampere? happening. Tampere, no, mm. no, it's not Tampere. But I'm uh, saying it wrong my whole life. <laughs> I'm the only guy who actually cares about these things. But anyways, um, well, you know, I mean, it's you're a stickler. I, I actually saw something, but I didn't want to send it to you. <laughs> and it said that people that 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 earnestly try to pronounce things properly are more intelligent and are more thoughtful. Oh, and I was like, this wow, is great. You know, and I'm like, I can't share this at Reach. Yes, because <laughs> like, but now I share it on air instead. Yeah, but nonetheless. Don't get too excited. Oh, man. I feel great about <laughs> myself right now. That was amazing. Not bad, hey? Um, so anyways, yes. So Aftonbladet, which is one of the big publications in Sweden, and Sportsbladet, which is their sports section, they're probably the, the biggest source of sports news. It's legitimate. They caught up with Patrick Alvin. And listen, Patrick Alvin never reveals too much anyways. Yes. So it's not like you're, you know, we got this treasure trove of, <laughs> of little tidbits to dig into here. Patrick Alvin, he just like, there's... Seven doors, right? And he has a chance to like they're all open, yes. right? And when he's being interviewed, he's tra- like, you're, as an interviewer, you're trying to close some of those doors, yes. right? He doesn't let you close any of the he doors. He just open it again. Yeah, he's like, uh, I'm keeping all seven of these doors open. It's like, no, you're, you're not getting anything. No, exactly. So he spoke about Leo Carlson. He did talk about Lakira Mackey, the pick mm-hmm. they had last year. He spoke about Elias Patterson, his contract, and also uh, a little bit on Oliver Ekman Larson. So we'll kind of work through this. It was all in Swedish, but you know, lucky for us, I speak a little bit of Swedish. Yes. And whatever is difficult, we can find a way to translate. So nonetheless, Patrick Alvin spoke very glowingly about Leo Carlson. 
Ooh, the projected third overall pick yes. in the NHL entry yeah. draft. And uh, it's kind of, there's there's a funny section where he talks about how at one point in the season, he was watching him closely because the Canucks were in that bottom five range. Yes. And then they started winning. And he kind of <laughs> says, yeah, we, we kind of had a chance. And then we started winning. It, it comes off as kind of bemoaning the fact that they won too many hockey games. But nonetheless. So he had this like evil smile as the Canucks, he's like looking at draft boards. He's like, hmm, might be able to get my Swedish player this year. Yeah. Like I mentioned before during the season, I, I think management, if I had to guess, was just as, as disappointed as most fans <laughs> that they won as many games as they did. Yeah. Right now, they were not expecting the level of turnaround that <laughs> happened towards the end of the season. No, exactly. Right. But also they didn't want to get in the coach's way. Mm-hmm. So they kind of laid off. But there was a, a hope, I think, that they would have <laughs> kept losing a bit more than they did. But nonetheless, but he says, hey, Leo Cross is an incredible hockey player. Mm-hmm. Who knows what can happen in the draft? Mm-hmm. They're willing to try to move up. Right. But even if those things get mentioned, how much how seriously do we take that? Of course, every GM is going to say, if we can move up to find one of the best players in the draft, we'll do so. You consider it. You're open to it. Yeah. But it becomes cost prohibitive more more often than not. So as much as Patrick Alpine's open to anything and is open to moving up in the draft and perhaps nabbing a guy like Leo Carlson, how realistic is that even? So the last time a top five selection was traded at the NHL entry draft, do you know when it was? Top five selection? Yeah, a top five selection was traded in the NHL entry draft. It is a player, it was for a player that is very well known to Canucks fans. Was a Canuck, the player was a Canucks player as recently as this year. Is the 2008 draft with Luke Shen. Oh, there we go. Luke Shen, you're right. The Maple Leafs traded up from seventh overall to fifth overall to select fifth in the draft and they took Luke Shen and what they had to give up. They were drafting seventh that year. So they gave up seven sixty-eight and a second rounder in the following draft. So 2009. So essentially two second round draft picks to move up two spots. Yes. Seven to five. Uh, well, they would have traded. Yeah. 68 would have been a high third round pick. High third. Sorry. Yeah. A third and a second to move up two spots. Yes. Two yeah. spots. Two spots. If you're trying to move up from number 11 to number three, so what cost you multiple first round draft picks? Yes. So you're not it's costing moving... you the 11th pick, next year's pick, and who knows? And even before, so the so the time before that, anybody traded a top three pick was a Sedin's, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it that? Like it, that's how far back we got to mm-hmm. go. So it's almost um, like it's not unprecedented, but you have to go back what 15, 16. You got to go back 22 years, 25 years. It's way yeah. It's way more likely that a seventh or eighth or ninth type pick. Like if you're getting into the top 10, like that's, those are the picks that generally are the ones that get traded. Right. So let's say because there is precedent as soon as what? So that's 15 years ago. Now the Luke Shen Mm -hmm. trade happened to move into number five. So I think the only way you can try to get Leo Carlson is if he's somehow available at number five. Yeah. And then it may open the door enough for you to sit there at number 11 and say, Hey, what can we do to go from 11 to number five? But it's going to cost you more than a second and a third to go from 11 to number five. Well, draft capital costs a lot more in today's day and age. Yes. Uh, teams, that's like a couple of years after the 0405 lockout. And um, you know, Cliff Fletcher made that trade for the Maple Leafs. It was, it was a different time, right? The, the draft wasn't as, I would say it wasn't as valued then as it is now. Not to say that it wasn't valued in 2008. Yeah. It's just... 
there's a, an even bigger importance on it, especially those top 10 picks. And when you're, it's more, it's not even about one, the cost is prohibitive, but the more important thing is, do you even have a willing trade partner? Well, that's the, that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, at number five, cause a team might be willing to down, move down, like, okay, maybe we're willing to move down one or two spots. Are we moving down to 11? <laughs> no chance. I think the only way you do that. And so this is what I would say, right? So let's say that Leo Carlson's available at number five, and that's where Montreal is picking. Yeah. And Montreal, for whatever reason, isn't enamored with the player. Yeah. And then what do we said about this draft? There is not a lot to really separate mm-hmm. from once you get outside the top three to four guys. And let's say Montreal's a team that's not that high on Leo Carlson. I can see them being willing to do it, but the cost would have to be a future first-round pick and maybe yeah. something else. And can the Canucks trade next year's first-round pick? Probably not without protection. Yeah. And even then, you might be reluctant to do so. Mm-hmm. So the, the only the, the acquiring team's probably not doing it without no. uh, with protection on it. Okay. So the only way you can so the only way you can get Leo Carlson is if he's somehow available at number five. Montreal doesn't like him enough to take him at number five. You can acquire an additional first-round pick and try to get him at the draft. Yeah. So now, how many variables have we entered into the <laughs> equation? Uh, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah, and it's it, probably, so that that's a long way of saying as much as he might be open to these things, it's probably not happening. It's not realistic. Uh, like mentioned, uh, Patrick Alvine, like he'll have seven doors open to him, yes. and uh, he's going to leave all seven of those doors open and available. It's just like we've talked about with JT Miller trade discussions. Uh, he's not going to shut it down, but he's also not going to likely do it yeah so that's uh that's where the conversation lands and you know let's say even columbus at third overall like they're interested in a more ready now player you know they just got johnny gaudreau last year whatever it may be this is a large hypothetical but even if they were to be interested in JT Miller, they're never expecting JT Miller to cost the third overall pick. No, they're not trading the third overall pick. So, for like, even that scenario doesn't really fly no. in a world where the Ky- or the Columbus Blue Jackets are trying to acquire JT Miller. You're not, J- you're not getting a top five pick for JT Miller. It's not happening. Yep. You're not getting a top eight pick for JT Miller, top no. 10 pick for JT Miller. It's not happening, right? Especially not a top five pick. Top you- 10 picks, like... Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about Debrinkat, yeah. you know, um, younger player. Uh, Derek Stepan was traded for yeah, younger uh, center at the time. At the time, he was a younger center, but uh, I think that was a trade that uh, Arizona. I don't. I don't think they would like to do that one over again. But that's uh, you could say that about a few things. Arizona. Yeah, I mean, has done. Connor Garland, Oliver, Oliver Ekman Larson, ninth overall pick. Yeah, I mean, nonetheless, true. nonetheless. But okay, I try not- to gloss <laughs> over that one. Set, it's know? likely not happening. The only way it happens is if you trade JT for a first-round pick from another team and use that pick in your own pick to try to move up. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can do it. And even, again, like these things become unrealistic. And one of the things that he reiterated was they're going to draft best player available. Mm-hmm. And the thing he mentioned was we're looking at best player regardless of position. There's so much that can happen until these guys are ready to play. Yeah. Between now and whenever this guy's ready to play, a lot can happen on your roster where you find yourself as a team who emerges – if you're picking based on position today, that can look foolish a year or two down the road. Well, even just, uh, again, I think last year's example, it's the one draft we have to go on from Patrick Alveen, and I think it really plays into this idea. They don't need a winger. 
but they feel the best player on the board is Jonathan Lekromaki. They're happy to select him. And look at how long it's taking or likely going to take Lekromaki to get even a sniff of the NHL. It won't yeah. happen at least until next year. He's going to play in Sweden with this season. And even after that, could be likely he stays in Sweden for another year mm-hmm. or comes over to start playing in the AHL. I mean, you're talking about a three-year gap at minimum before that player is sniffing the National Hockey League. You can't be deciding who you're going to draft based on the idea that this player is you know, taking up a spot that you've already got filled. Yeah. Because three years from now, most of those contracts are going to expire. Who knows what's happening three years from now? And exactly. And especially with how this draft may break, there might be a really good winger available at number 11 that might be hard for you to bypass. And forget Mitchkov even. Like, you know, we yeah. talked about him a lot. But, I mean, you know, I've spoken quite a bit about Willander. Yes. Right? And you know what? Let's let's put a pin in this for a second, but we'll come back to it. Let's just go through what uh, Alvin okay. had to say real quickly. We'll just we'll kind of, you know, we'll wrap up the rest of his interview with Aftonbladet. We'll come back to what he mentioned about taking best player available and how the draft may break in a second. But just working through this, like Hiramaki, he mentions they're going to Erebro where they feel good about it and gave a lot of credit to Mikhail Samuelson and Bobby Haglin, Vancouver Scouts, for finding that spot for him and, and thinking that's a great spot for him. Okay, so that's part of the work that, or the reason they have Mikhail Samuelson there. They want yes. to keep an eye on Jonathan Lekromaki, but also to have an understanding of you know what situation is going to be best for that player to play in next year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on Oliver Ekman-Larsen, you know, he mentions that he's very determined and very motivated to prove everybody wrong. And you know, last year he attributed a lot of his... Uh, struggles to the fact he broke his foot at the World Championship, didn't have a good offseason, mentions the importance of a summer and a good preparation for Oliver mm-hmm. Ekman-Larsen. The same stuff we've heard about OEL, right? But for those wondering, that's what he said about OEL. Nothing really different about Elias Pettersson, except for he was asked specifically about how expensive it's going to be. And he says he's a top player in this league. So a top player in this league... So basically top player money. A top level contract, which means more than 10 sheets a year. Probably. Sort of thing. Didn't go into that, essentially. But talks about how they expect him to also take a step as a leader or two and take more steps. And they expect a lot from him and they believe in him and he's going to be a big part of the team long term. But when asked about how expensive it's going to be, part of the answer was, well, he's a top player in this league. Yeah. So as we've been mentioning... Keep expecting the Elias Pettersson contract whenever it does get signed after July 1st to be a mammoth contract. Uh, we can speculate. It's in the range, I would say, between 85 and $90 million if he does do yeah. the full eight-year deal. Yeah. Um, Anywhere it, from 80 to 90. That's your that's your $10 million range, 80 to 90. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors in there. We could see some other, you know, sort of needle-moving type of contracts Austin Matthews could be one if he goes again for the four or five year deal yeah. like it is being speculated. You wonder if maybe that's something Pedersen is also comfortable with. And then that's means it's just going to be a, still a large AAV, but you don't have as much or as long of control on the player. The only the, there's been very few players who have kind of bypassed the total money philosophy. Yeah. One's been Matthews, but he's still got, what, five years at 12 and a half, 12 something? Yeah, he got a ridiculous contract. 11-6. 11-6-3-4, so that he could uh, have his number in there. Right, 11-3-6-4. So that's a five-year deal worth, what, $56 million, $57 yep. million? 
It's, I mean, you're getting, you're getting $57 million in they, five years? It, it was a strange contract because it still had a high average annual value, like yes. less than a million dollars. Um, you know, it was cheaper by, from McDavid by, you know, $900,000. Yes. And yet they only got five years on it. Yeah. You know, they didn't get a haircut on the AAV. And they didn't get the term. On and the they didn't get the term. They bought so one UFA year. Yeah. It didn't really make a ton of sense from the Leafs perspective, but uh, makes a ton of sense for Austin Matthews and the player. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's leverage. Yeah. That's how big a star he is. And, you know, with Pedersen, does he have that type of leverage? And does he does he want that? Does he want, I mean, he's going to get a lot of money. Yeah. Does he look at it and say, hey, I'd rather do the Austin Matthews five-year deal? I just made, you know, $22 million on my last contract. Give mm-hmm. me $60 million for my next contract. Hey, I've made $80 million in, in seven years. That's not too bad. And I can hit free agency again when, you know, the salary cap is at $100 million. Yeah. Or something close to so, that. Because now you're talking about a guy who's banked about $100 million, $80 yeah. million already. It becomes a lot easier to bypass some term. But nonetheless... It's going to cost a lot of money to sign Elias Patterson, and essentially the GM admits it when asked about how expensive it's going to be. Uh, so that's uh, from Patrick Alvine in his uh, check-in with Swedish media. He also mentioned, you know, they're there at, at the World Championships yes. and they're watching some players. Leo Carlson, obviously, uh, David Reinbacher is mm-hmm. playing uh, with the Austrian team. Adam Fantilli is with the Canadian squad. So you know, there's a few draft eligibles that are out there in this world championships. But you know, the draft is super interesting for this Canucks team sat. And, you know, best player available continues to be the discussion point from Patrick Alvine. And obviously every GM is going to say that. And I believe I have no reason to not take Patrick Alvine at his word that whomever they select at 11 is going to be on their board the best player available, but um, you know, how are we feeling about how the draft is going to shape up at 11 and is your new favorite player, Tom Willander going to be there? <laughs> so I'm not even sure. I, you know, I, I like Willander a lot. I'm interested in Willander. And also what, what I'm intrigued by is I'm enjoying my maintenance day. They're sat <laughs> tweeting about Tom Willander. <laughs> You're like, like man, even on my day off, I got to listen to this guy wax poetic about Tom Willander. Hey, people like Tom Willander and I like Willander too. I'm not sure I like him enough at 11 to take him there. Yeah. But what I find interesting is, and I know Craig Button's mentioned it. You know, everyone thinks, oh, it's Craig Button. He has him in like eighth overall or whatever it is. He's the guy running this hype train. But I've spoken to people that are part of the industry, like in the league, and they don't make their stuff public. And I've asked, like, not hey, the public you... industry, yeah. the, uh, like inside the, the league. Yeah, NHL and like scouts around the league, and like, hey, what do you guys think of Willander? And I've had people tell me like he's top, like he's a second best defenseman. Like I've had numerous people tell me he's a second best defenseman in my list, or at least that's how I rank him. He's a second best D man. Yeah, the first. D-man, some guy has, some have Reinbacher, some have Axel Sandin Palika, Shimashev, other people have. Like, it's, it's a big mishmash. But what I find interesting is, somehow, some way, Willander keeps finding himself in that mix when you talk to people around the league. It's, uh, it's crazy, because you can look at this a few different ways, right? It's like, well, the reason there is so much variance here is there's no real standout defenseman. And our team's just reaching to find the best available defenseman. Yes, but at the same time, perhaps, but at the same time, like it goes back to something we've been discussing quite extensively. Let's say the top five, and let's include Will Smith in the top five, Mm -hmm. and we include Mitchkov and Carlson and Fantilli with Bedard, right? So that's your top five. Outside of that, even with Zach Benson, we've seen a lot of variants. Some have him number 12, 13, 15 even. Like there's a lot of back and forth. So from, from say six all the way to 15, 20, if there isn't a lot separating them, yeah. Then is it reaching? Yeah. 
because you're talking about the same group of players. It comes down to how you rank them yep. or how you like them better. And right shot D, who's good and talented. Well, it's not even about saying, okay, you're drafting for position, but the scarcity and his ability based on a position will go into the equation. Yes. Like you're grading a right-hand defenseman on a different curve than you're grading a lefty defenseman. Right. There's so few of them. Yep. They're so hard to find. So premium, it's like, premium positions, you have to put a premium price on them. Yeah, and even the centers, I'd say it's hard because with centers, sometimes you're like, hey, you're projecting and maybe ends up being a winger. Yeah. But if a guy's a righty defenseman, he's a righty defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know and he's a very, right shot defenseman. That's what he is, and they're very hard to find. So I think that scarcity of it creates a bit of a different equation. So not a surprise will Lander perhaps goes higher. Not a surprise if Ryan Backer goes. What if, Dan, three defensemen go in the top ten? Yeah. Now We're talking about— su- But now you're talking about— a really talented forward dropping to you at 11, though. Yeah. If that if that scenario plays out, Reinbacher, Palika, and Willander, let's say. Or even Shimashev. Or Shimashev. Like, if, if all three of them end up going before the Canucks, that means a really talented player is falling to Vancouver. Yeah. And like Alvin said, we have to take best player available. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen. I mean, let's say that you you earnestly believe that there are two righty defensemen that you have ranked 10, 11, mm-hmm. and if they're there, you're taken because like that's how good you feel about those two guys. If those two guys are gone, what are you doing? You're gonna go take the third guy who's yeah. ranked 17, but then you're not gonna take your eighth or ninth ranked forward. You gotta follow your board. Yeah, you gotta follow it, and and I think that's something really fascinating about this year's draft. The number, the the amount of variance we're seeing here with a number of defensemen, and forget you know one defenseman going. What if multiple D men go in the top ten? Um, this text comes in. Do you think Zach Benson could fall to eleven? We're gonna have Scott Wheeler on in in a few minutes, and we'll ask him this question too. But I, look, just look at the history of the NHL entry draft. Yeah. Do players with size end up tumbling down draft boards oftentimes? Mm, they usually end up going higher. <laughs> uh, so, pl- sorry, I should have said players lacking size yes. end up tumbling down yes. draft boards. And that's where you would find Zach Benson as yes. an undersized forward. Yeah, I can see it. And an undersized there, skilled yeah. forward. So, if you're just going based on the history of the NHL entry draft, there's a chance Zach Benson could fall. The reason there's some also concern about Benson, and we'll talk to Wheeler coming up in a moment too, is not the fastest player, mm-hmm. but the 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 skating is attributed to his lack of strength and power, right. which if he develops, he's going to be able to add. Like his, There's nothing really mechanically wrong with how he skates. He's right. good on his edges as well. It's like So there's you can see real room for improvement, mm-hmm. and it, he should be able to get it. It's very attainable for him to get faster and quicker. I'm not worried about things like that. Yeah. You know, what I worry about is, you know, not having the talent, not having the skill set or like being really small, but he's not super small. But I can see all those things, you know, conspiring against Zach Benson. The other part of this whole conversation about defensemen, um, the Canucks not having a second round pick could, you know, you're going to miss out on some really talented players, especially when you're at the top of the second Mm -hmm. round. There's always that's really where the variance starts to show up most yeah. in draft boards because some guys get passed over and that top of the second round, it always feels like there's just this uh, bevy of uh, guys who fell out of the first round that are still available on day two and Canucks without a second round pick. We've talked about this and Patrick Alvin is, I don't know if hinted at it is the right word, but he's left that door open too. 
could they use their extra picks in the third and fourth round to move up into the second round? That is a possibility. And I think that's, you know, if you're thinking about a move up in the draft for the Canucks, that's probably where it makes more sense, mm-hmm. especially with the amount of variance we're likely to see in this year's draft class. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the, that's the big thing about it. Right. And, you know, I, I understand a lot of the frustration too. Like I see um, uh, Rage or say the conversation you guys had about the top two righties going seven to 10 is why the Canucks season is so frustrating because they were in that spot to be the ones to take those guys ahead of others instead of picking up scraps. And I wouldn't call it picking up scraps. Like we're talking about talented players getting taken. But to me, that's okay. If you want to be upset, the Canucks aren't picking eight or ninth. Totally get it. Yeah. That was attainable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was literally like, did you have to start Demko that many games? Yes. Like we talked about their injuries. We talked about their personnel. We spoke about, I get it. Like when your third, when your second leading defenseman in ice time, when Myers is out is Kyle Burrows. Yeah. Like it's, it's a bit different from the other guys and their blue lines <laughs> and how they're playing. We have no third line center. It's a bit different. Like I kind of yeah. understand some of the forwards and their skaters. The Demko one was like a little aggressive. Even Woodley said, I mean, you probably could have taken a few away. Yeah. So that's that well, I they understand. Didn't, they really kept him playing every game that wasn't a back to back. Yeah. Until the last two weeks of the season or so. So I think that's a frustration frust- yeah. frustrating part of it. Ultimately with this draft, I think you're getting a re- you can you can get a really talented player at eleven. I hope it's a type of player they truly need mm-hmm. long term and it all works out, but a lot, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we will continue this chat about the draft with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This text from LJ. Hey, just look at it this way. The Canucks get the first shot at the players that fall out of the top ten. LJ, I appreciate the glass half full mentality. That's what we need more of in Vancouver. That's uh, that's that's not bad. You know what? LJ has been enjoying the, the good weather lately. Yeah, I can tell. Good. The city, like the city's a lot happier when yeah. it's nice out. Hey, unless it gets too hot, then everybody starts getting <laughs> this cranky. Is, this is also true. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is uh, Scott Wheeler from the Athletic National Writer, covering the NHL draft and NHL prospects. Thanks for this, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Just uh, sort of wrapping up uh, my draft board, actually. So you've caught me at a good time. Oh wow. Okay. This is like the fascinating thing about this year's draft is, uh, I, I well, I mean, every draft has a lot of variance on the board, but it feels like uh, after the first four, maybe five, if you want to throw Will Smith in there, talent-wise, it's really hard to gauge what a lot of draft boards are going to look like. 
Yeah, there's no question about that. And I would definitely throw Will Smith in there. Just the conversations I've had with scouts over the mm-hmm. second half of this season, really beginning at the BioSteel All-American game in Plymouth when he was uh, the sort of MVP of the game, right through to U18 Worlds and his sort of sensational performance there. And uh, it's it's become, I think, pretty clear that he belongs in that group. I think there are teams that would be prepared if the order were a little different to draft him second or third I, I think there's a real chance he still goes third to Columbus uh so he's 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 the real deal I think there are tr- sort of truly five star prospects in this draft five guys who would have been first overall picks in last year's draft for example so uh that's a big deal uh that's the sign of a great draft class that's the sign of okay maybe we have a another 2015 on, on our hands. I think this is as a, on the whole uh, in the drafts I've scouted, and this is, is my 10th year doing this work kind of on a full-time basis. This is right there with 2015 is mm-hmm. the best top end and, and the best group on the whole that I've scouted. And that speaks to what you're talking about, which is that, that second tier, right? It's, it's a bigger group than usual. Typically mm-hmm. you've got your top four or five, and then you've got a really condensed group, uh, sort of second group, if you will, that runs from, six to 10, six to 11 in your average draft. In this draft, it feels like that runs all the way till sort of 18, 19. So there's a really, really deep group of 12, 13, 14, 15 guys after that, that core group at the top uh, who are also legitimate prospects, legitimate sort of top 10 type players who would go in, in other drafts in that range kind of a thing. So it's it's wide open. I would say outside of it being a little bit thinner on defense, certainly you've got upwards of a dozen sort of really high-end forwards in this draft. Uh, the number on defense is smaller. It was probably two at the midway point. I think we've probably now added a third defenseman into that group in Tom Willander. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, really other than this draft maybe being a little softer, a little weaker than we're used to on defense. It's a, a really, really special group, and I think we're going to be 10 years from now sort of looking back on this and not just talking about the Jack Eichels and the Connor McDavid's like we did in 2015, but also talking about who's the Mitch Marner, who's the Miko Rantanen, who's the Travis Konechny, the Brock Besser, the Thomas Shabbat, the Matt Barzell. I think this is going to be that kind of a draft. Well, and, and you know what? That bodes well for Vancouver, even though they are picking at 11 to come away with that type of talent in, in this year's draft. And you mentioned the defenseman, and it's clear that, you know, trying to figure out where the defenseman goes is the most unpredictable part of this draft. And maybe there is only two or three that are, you know, that type of caliber. But is there a world where we see maybe two or three defensemen go in the top 10 even? Well, I think certainly we'll see David Ryanbacker, the Austrian who played at the Swiss National League level this year. Uh, he was obviously has been banged up at Men's Worlds playing for Austria, but by all accounts, it sounds like it's not a sort of serious long-term draft-impacting injury. Uh, took a really, really hard hit from Rasmus Sandin in their game against Sweden, but it sounds like he'll be all right. Uh, after Ryanbacker, there's two kids who are kind of right in that the fringes of that group. The first uh, was a kid who sort of established himself in the fall in that group, and Axel Sandin Pelika, five foot eleven Swedish defenseman who is gifted offensively, can really, really shoot the puck and score with the puck from the blue line, and likes to sort of hop into the the slot to use his shot, and also defends despite being five foot eleven, just defends really hard, a physical sort of engaged defender who who sort of plays bigger than his size, if you will. So a lot to like there, and then beyond him, the third has really emerged as the season has progressed and was sort of stamped that case 
at U18 Worlds with a tremendous performance for Sweden playing 30 plus minutes a night. And that's Wolander, who I sort of alluded to off the top here. So Wolander is one of the very best skaters in the draft, just an effortless sort of smooth skater, uh, transition sort of two-way type. Doesn't have the package inside the offensive zone that a player like Sandine Pelica has but projects to be just a really good top four defenseman at the NHL level. And, and those have, those have top 10, top 15 value in the draft these days. So uh, those are two guys. I, I do still think they're both more likely to go kind of 10 to 16, 10 to 17 uh, rather than top 10, but would not be surprised either. If, if one of those guys joined Reinbacher, if Reinbacher goes five, six, seven, wouldn't be shocked if one of those guys was kind of picked eight, nine, 10. Well, even beyond that, I mean, um, in some of the conversations we've had as we continue to get ready for the draft, you know, you hear Simashev's name come up quite a bit and, mm-hmm. and Gulyayev and how talented these guys are. I mean, uh, what what does the tier look beyond those three you just mentioned? Well, for me, Gulyayev certainly belongs in that group with, with Simashev and and, uh, and Wolander and, and Sandy and Pelika and even Reinbacker. And there was a time this year where I had Gulyayev as my number one ranked prospect. But I think the challenge with Gulyayev and Simashev, who are very different players, Gulyayev is kind of actually uh, the, the word Quinn Hughes has been tossed around to me by one scout this year. And I think that's a, a little rich for my taste. But uh, yeah, he's he's that, that type. He's the five foot ten sort of extremely talented, mobile, active, confident offensive defenseman. Um, and Simashev's a very different player. Simashev's the six foot four, smooth skating, sort of transitional defender, a lot like, uh, actually very similar to Tom Wander in a lot of ways, but has two or three inches on Wander. Wander's kind of six foot one and Simashev's six foot four, uh, but just plays the length of the ice, plays more of a two-way game and just projects as just a really solid sort of top four guy. Whereas I think there's a little bit of, power play, dynamic quality in Gulyayev that even a Sandine Pelica may not quite reach. So uh, very interesting players. The, 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 the factor with them and the big reason why they, I think, will go after uh, a Sandine Pelica and a Wallander is simply the, the geopolitics of, of what's going on with Russia and uncertainty about Russia and the fact that they won't be at the Combine and they weren't at U18 Worlds and teams just know those guys less. And whether they believe they're equals as players uh, or whether they even believe that they can get them over here, no problem. At the end of the day, even if they have talked to their agents and fielded those calls and they're comfortable with the fact that they want to come over and all of that, they still have in all likelihood just seen them play less, had fewer conversations with them over the course of the year. Uh, that's what this this sort of isolation that has happened has, has produced. So uh, complicated with them for sure. I think you still may see Gulyayev and Timoshev drafted in the first round. Uh, I think you may see one of them go in the first round and one of them go in the second round. They're still both going to be high picks regardless of, of the situation. Uh, but definitely when push comes to shove, if the team's deciding between one of those two guys and, and one of the two Swedes that we've talked about, uh, I think the decision would ultimately be a, a Wolander or a Sandine Pelica. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating on the defenseman. And, you know, as far as, you know, we were kind of discussing and saying if there is a world where a couple of defensemen go ahead of where Vancouver is picking, then, uh, you know, oh, well, you can pick one of the very good forwards and wingers that might be down there. And a couple of guys you're very high on, obviously, is Zach Benson and also uh, Gabe Perot, who is a winger. We haven't spoken about Gabe Gabe Perot a ton, but there's a real chance both those guys could be there when the Canucks pick at number 11. What makes Gabe Gabe Perot a potential star in the making? 
Well, Perot is a fascinating player. One of the is one of the more interesting case studies, and I think will for the next two or three years before we really know what he's going to look like at the next level, be a fascinating case study in this draft. He arrived at the national program two years ago from now, a little bit less than that, a year and two thirds ago from now at like 130, 140 pounds. He was this sort of skin and bones, talented kid, comes from a hockey family. His brother is a first round, his brother Jacob is a first round pick of the Anaheim Ducks. His dad, Yannick, obviously had a long career in the NHL as a bit of a face-off wizard and defensive guy. Uh, and now he's he's the next in line. And as tends to happen with those bloodlines, is the most talented of the bunch. And He's now added some weight. He's worked very hard at that. He's still, if you bump into him at the rink, a very skinny kid, uh, similar to how Vancouver's own Kent Johnson was, right? And at the same age where Kent was, and how Elias Pettersson was at the same age as well, just sort of that that skin and bones frame that takes some time for some kids. Um, So that's a factor, and it's been a talking point. And as a result, he's not the strongest kid. And when you're not the strongest kid, you're normally not the fastest kid. But then this year, he shows up. He's starting to look more like a, a man, if you will. And he goes out there and breaks the NTDP scoring record and shatters the really shatters the records that were previously set by Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes and is on many nights looks like the an equal talent to Will Smith on that top line for Team USA and is a huge part of the best line in the history of the National Development Program. And he's just a, extremely talented. He's a left winger. Uh, handles the puck incredibly, incredibly well. Like just one of those kids who makes people miss, breaks ankles, uh, puck on a string kind of quality, a lot like, again, Kent Johnson uh, at the same age. And he has just sort of piece by piece put together his game. He's worked harder to become a, a sort of better back checker. He was tracking plays at, in Switzerland at U18 Worlds and lifting sticks and coming up with key steals and then driving down the ice to make plays the other way and has just really rounded out his game on top of being one of the most purely talented players in the draft. So a little bit of strength and a little bit more speed uh, and there's a real opportunity for him to be that kind of power play one top six winger who who puts up kind of 70 points in a season. That That's not an unrealistic upside for him if it all comes together. But there is, uh, with Perot, maybe a little bit more risk in, in, in getting there and in the work that has to still be done than there maybe is in, in some of the other players at the very top of the draft in that range. You know, there's been so much talk about Zach Benson, I think, as well, and just how talented a player he is. But, you know, again, another player that's a little bit undersized as it stands right now. If there's going to be an extreme talent that drops out of the top 10, could it be Zach Benson? Yeah, I think that there's a, that's a possibility. Uh, he dealt with uh, an injury sort of in the second half, which kept him out of some games and kept him out of the start of the playoffs. And since he's come back, he's been really, really good, has, has looked himself. But you always wonder what that time missed while everybody else turned their attention to other players late in the season and those final viewings and all that, uh, what that looks like uh, in terms of just the last impressions and all of that. And then you add in that, yeah, he's, he's a five foot nine, 165 pound winger. And those guys are always the guys who fall on draft day. It's always the Alex to It's always the, the Cole Caulfield's last year. The, the two kids who fell further than everybody expected were Vancouver's Jonathan Leckermackie and Nash, Nashville's Joaquin Kemmel. Right. And what were they? They were five foot nine, five foot 10, five foot 11 wingers. Uh, that's just the way that this goes. Teams push comes to shove when chips are on the table 
uh, teams tend to like to go with the center or with the winger that has a little bit more size. And uh, there's value to be found there, certainly. And I think if he's there at 11, I would bang the drum for him. He's a kid that I'm a huge fan of. He has been over the last two seasons, arguably, and in fact, I would I would say certainly the best forward on one of the most talented teams in the CHL in consecutive seasons. And that at his age is an incredible, incredible accomplishment. This year, I think it was a foregone conclusion, which is saying something considering he was playing with Matt Savoy, a top 10 pick from last year with Connor Geeky, a player who was nearly a top 10 pick last year with Connor McLennan, a 20 year old who is a sort of a hundred point guy in that league. Uh, you go down the list, Zach Kostopchuk, who played for the Vancouver Giants and was mm-hmm. traded there at the deadline. It's a, it was a special group at forward, and he was the driver. He was their best player at both ends of the ice. Despite being five foot nine, he's probably the best or arguably the best two, two-way player in the WHL for me this season. Just an energizer bunny out there who has tons of skill, works his tail off, will be a penalty killer at the next level. Uh, just so, so much to like, just the intensity and the passion that he plays with on top of the, the natural skill that comes with drafting a player. Uh, who's going to be picked that high. It's a, it's a really, really exciting package. And then beyond that, even last year, I would argue at 16, and James Patrick, the head coach there, has told me as much that he's the thought late in last year as a 16-year-old on a loaded team that wanted to win the WHL title, he still may have been their best player. So uh, just a, a really special player who I think uh, scouts are, are big, big fans of, uh, despite the fact that he's he's on the smaller side. I don't think he comes with some of the the question marks that players that size typically do for NHL scouts. Uh, So I'll be fascinated to see where he goes. He's a top 10 talent for me all day, uh, but push comes to shove. Who knows? Uh, Even with how well liked he is, you do wonder whether there's some cold feet there when it's time to call his name kind of a thing, just because he's a little bit on the smaller side and he's a winger. Well, and there are a couple of guys who can play down the middle, are a little bit bigger, and, you know, have different attributes, whether it's Oliver Moore, who you are high on as well. You had him at seventh on your latest rankings, the post-U18 Worlds one. And Dalibor Dvorsky was obviously a bit bigger and has some size to him. You have him at number nine. As far as those two guys go, it's really fascinating because a lot of the buzz or discussion around them was, and you noted this on Dvorsky, especially that they're more lower ceiling guys, but higher floor type players. But... Is there more there for both those guys in terms of being bigger producers? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't think at this point, just based off the conversations I've had and the swell that happened after U18 Worlds for Dvorsky, that he'll be there at 11. Uh, I think if you'd asked me that question two months ago, I would have told you he would. I actually did a feature on him in advance of U18 Worlds and all of the staff with his club team in Hockey Elsvenskin in Sweden all told me to a T that they, after conversations with scouts, felt that he was going to go in the 10 to 20 range and that he'd kind of fallen out of the top 10 range that he was in two years ago when he outproduced uh, Uri Slavkovsky and Philip Mayshar playing above his age group at the Helenka Gretzky Cup and really bursting onto the scene as a 16-year-old. So um, times have, have changed for him. The perception about him has changed. I actually think he's a much more talented player than he gets credit for. The belief is, uh, believe it or not, and, and Bo Horvat comes to mind, but that's kind of the player that gets bandied about when folks talk about him. Just a very competitive player. He's kind of six foot one, 200 plus pounds, uh, detail oriented, good face off detail, good stick detail, all of that. And then has, has sort of a well-rounded skill set as well. But I actually think in terms of the way that he operates on the power play, his ability to feather saucer passes, and then also pound the one timer when passes hit him, 
Um, there's there's a lot of talent there. He's extremely gifted with the puck on his stick, and I I think he's almost been. Um, Oliver Moore, different story. I, I do think Oliver Moore could be there and, and is probably actually more likely to be there uh, at 11 than not there. Uh, a little bit shorter in terms of stature. He's sort of five foot 11 to Dvorsky's six foot one. But Moore is the best skater in the draft, bar none, the fastest player in the draft, kind of that that truly, truly elite speed. The, the think Dylan Larkin, Connor McDavid, that kind of a skater. Um, he's uh, more, I would say more, almost a more explosive sort of powerful stride than those two guys, like a, a Larkin and a McDavid who are so smooth out there, almost like a sort of Nathan McKinnon sort of power stride, just a really strong lower base, really thick athletic kid, uh, was a sprinter growing up as a kid. Uh, and how you can see that in the way that he skates as well. And then also just a hounding player all over the puck, mm-hmm. works his tail off, has plenty of skill and just projects extremely safely because of the skating uh, as an NHL center. I think even though he's five foot 11 and some teams want their centers to be a little bit bigger than that. So I'm a big, big fan. He's off to the university of Minnesota next year. He'll probably play there uh, right behind Logan Cooley. If Logan Cooley of the Arizona coyotes returns for his sophomore year, which I expect uh, and sounds like it's going to happen. So he's going to be the 2C there at a top college program next year and get to play in some pretty big roles and minutes. And uh, I, I think you give him two or three years at Minnesota and he's going to emerge as a pretty fun to watch uh, sort of fan favorite type player, not just because of the skating, but because of how hard he works. So uh, lots of love from me for, for all of them more. And I think he could be there at 11. Uh, before we let you go, Scott, and great stuff as always, man, uh, we have a question from our text inbox. It's from Soapy. He asks, can you please ask Scott about Bradley Nadeau of the Penticton Vs who tore up the BCHL? Mm-hmm. And uh, you're pretty high on this kid too, aren't you? Yeah, Bradley had a sensational year, one of the best junior A-level draft-eligible seasons across the junior A-level in Canada, not just the BCHL, but you could include the AJHL, the OJHL in there, et cetera. Uh, a, a special, special year. We've seen some very talented players come through the BCHL in recent years, right? We saw Kent Johnson do it. We saw Matthew Wood do it, who's going to be a top 10, top 20 pick in this year's draft as well, but played this year at UConn as an early status player in the NCAA. Tyson Jost, Alex Newhook. Uh, there have been some very, very good players. Kyle Turris, once upon a time. Um, and he's he's produced above and beyond all of those kids and and truly did have one of those special seasons in terms of production got to do it playing on a line with his big brother who I thought should have been a late round pick in last year's draft but got passed over uh just a very fast talented sort of complete player he's he's a little bit on the smaller side he's five foot ten uh, but a lot of even scouts I talk to who are all about the sort of bigger competitor, heavier, quote unquote, whether you like it or not, playoff style players that that NHL teams are always after at the draft. Even those types of scouts that uh, that I, I go back and forth with are big, big fran- fans of Bradley, who doesn't uh, maybe at least in the height column fit what they're typically looking for as scouts. So I think he's, he's turned a a lot of heads this year and it's always tough to draft a player out of a junior A level in the first round kind of a thing. Uh, But even if he doesn't go in the first round, I expect him to go early, early, early on day two of the draft. And I expect, I fully expect him to, to light it up in as, as, as a college player at Maine, 
Uh, not a typical program. He's not going to a Boston College or a Michigan or a Minnesota. But I think that too could be could be really good for him. It, w- it will mean that they don't rush him. The Maine Black Bears aren't typically a team that does the one and done thing. And if he goes there and he spends two or three years there, I think you could see a player like him emerge as a as a potential top six player in the NHL. And uh, if that's available on day two, there probably aren't going to be many players that I'd feel comfortable with that kind of a projection on. Scott, appreciate your time as always. When uh, when can we expect to see this new draft board? June fifth. June 5th, we're filing it this week because it's a mammoth and it takes multiple weeks to edit, but it will, uh, it'll be out June 5th, my top 100. All right, draft season getting that much closer. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for this, Scott. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Scott Wheeler. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott C. Wheeler, and check out his work at The Athletic. And a fascinating look at to how the uh, second tier is going to play out in this yeah. NHL entry draft. A lot of variants, right? I mean, and... It's like we discussed so much. The group is pretty large. Yeah. You know, he mentions he mentions the group to be like 15, 16. Some have it even larger than that. And that's where it kind of gets really fascinating. The Canucks are right in the middle of it, right, at number yeah. 11. And, you know, I think we all have our preferences. We'd love to see the Canucks pick up a really talented righty defenseman. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see them pick up a really talented center. Yeah. But also at 11, pick up the best difference-making <laughs> player you can. And he mentioned, Scott, that... In this draft, he can see somebody coming away with a Miko Rantanen. Right. Who was a 10th overall pick. Yeah. You know? Are you going to say no to Rantanen because you're, you're trying to, you know, pigeonhole a defenseman? And that's my point here, right? As much as I'm all for taking the center and the defenseman if it's there, you can't bypass that type of potential talent at 11 if it's, if it's the best player on the board. Like, no one's going to complain that you have Miko Rantanen at 10 and bypass the defenseman. In five years. Draft by best player available. And again, the Canucks. Uh, it's tough to uh, to really think about which player is going to end up there for the Canucks. But uh, by the time we get to draft day, you'll have a pretty good understanding of all of the players that should be available at 11 for the Vancouver Canucks. At least that's what we hope to continue building here on Canuck Central. It is Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, we will draft the best players remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's next on Sports at 650.